Hello and welcome to This Board Game Life, episode number 18, Feedback Attack. This Board Game Life is a proud independent board gaming only podcast, once again guilty of proliferation of the poisonous virus that is board gaming. We feel we should issue a warning one more time against listening to this podcast, as you will become infected. There is no antidote for board gaming. You've been warned again. This is Jeff, your board gaming epidemiologist, and with me is Rob, one of the most infected and contagious board gamers you'll find anywhere. Watch out. In this episode, we'll respond to listener feedback. Feedback we've received via email or voicemail. Uh, We did decide to only include that feedback, which we had something to comment back on in those cases where uh, some of the feedback were uh, simply contest entries or comments, compliments, or constructive criticisms that we didn't feel we had anything much to say on. Um, For those listeners, we thank you. We uh, do appreciate all the compliments, all the encouragement, Uh, The constructive criticisms we've tried to uh, look at and evaluate and try to improve on anything uh, in that vein. Um, The majority of you seem to be very happy with what we're doing and how we're doing it. So we're uh, pleased with that. And we thank all of you who have provided us feedback. Finally getting caught up on that. I know we had kind of talked about having it spread across several shows, but we're going to try to do the home run here and get everybody in on one show. everybody has been waiting for and that is the questions comments and all that feedback attack the feedback attack we'll just just, uh name this segment that uh, permanently i like it yeah we never really had a name for the segment anyway so we'll, we'll call it feedback attack and we could ask listeners to give feedback on the name feedback attack <laughs> there you go so yeah so we've got a variety of voicemails and emails to share with you uh some some will do in full others will take excerpts from so the first one that we've got is from todd from winnipeg yes good old todd that we've we've uh, had him on the show at least once before and todd writes in jeff and rob first off I have listened to every episode of the Dice Tower, Garrett's Games, etc. Nine hours a day. Think about it. So based on that, I think I'm a fairly good judge of these things. And in my humble opinion, yours is on par with the best of them already. In episode number 14, Jeff asked for recommendations of the fillers that would potentially fit his tastes and collection and mine would be, I'm not, I'm, I've never sure how to say this one. Fizzed. Fizzed. Or fizzed. fizzed. From Tony Boydell and Griffin. Fizzed. It's like a bug zapper. 
uh, is a light auction set collection game that plays two to four in about 30 minutes. It involves aspects of blind bidding and bluffing and works very well with two players. Hopefully this game works for you. I bought it for a friend a few weeks ago and have greatly enjoyed my plays of it so far. A second recommendation is Parade by Naoki Homa and Z-Man, which I find to be a fun mix between Colorado and Six Night. Now on to my questions. What are some games that you guys think of as underrated games? For example, very little buzz or relatively low rating on BGG. Secondly, do you have any thoughts on the game Muterer, I think it is. Muterer, yeah. As I recently picked it up based on very positive comments from multiple other podcasters, but have not had time to bring it to the table yet. Thanks again, Todd from Winnipeg. All right, Todd. Well, uh, thank you for the positive uh, thoughts on our show. I'm glad you're enjoying it. Uh, and uh, on the on the Fizz game, uh, I'm actually very thankful that you uh you mentioned that one because i had completely forgotten about that game i had seen it at one point i think when it first came out way back when and i it wasn't one i i ever noted any comment for or otherwise recorded so it had since completely fell off my radar i actually took another look at this and i thought it looked great it's uh kind of got a little robot theme to it and and such so even uh thematically it's it's kind of up my alley uh it looks like something as you mentioned that might play good with two so it's got that sort of two three and four player range uh which means it's going to get potentially played more and so i i had actually added it to an order there's an expansion for it too i don't think i added this the expansion to an order but it's it's held up i think by africana so it was it helped pad out one of those orders so i'm actually interested to get that one played uh otherwise never played it now on parade that one i have played uh well first of all it it seems to be impossible to find i'd uh i'd thought about picking it up again but the problem i had with it was their choices did seem interesting but it had still too much luck of the draw for me than I typically enjoy in a game. And and so it really fell in that middle range again or sort of take it take it or leave it. I think if somebody else were to were to pull it out I might play it, but I'm I'm not so sure it was for me as well as it's one of those that probably plays better with more players than two. Uh, and so that's uh, again another reason why uh, I, I it's it's cheap enough probably if it were available but i'm not as big a fan of that one but again of the two very encouraged uh on the fizzed one to uh to look into that further now on the under underrated gems uh does what comes to mind for you rob anything like if you were to see this is one of the uh, advantages to putting all your collection on bgg because you can sort it by ranking yeah <laughs> bgg ranking and go hmm in my collection, anyway, the lowest ranked game is. You know, 
I guess I have the advantage here of, of seeing the show notes. <laughs> and we are right on with this one. Oh, yeah. Did, did I put and, put one in there? Do you do you own that game? Yes, yes, you did. Yes, I okay, do, Okay, well, actually. the... We'll go ahead. Drum roll, please. Now, uh, the game is Gonzaga. And you introduced me to this game, and I remember how you explained me how you ran across it, and it was literally like a great find for you unexpectedly right you took yeah it was it. um it was one that i'm always partial to a, a map of europe you know from a war game history kind of thing and and here was this this really stupid looking game to be honest with a map of europe and these uh, plastic pieces that would lay on top of it and I mean, it really had no real reason to ever be interested in the game besides that map of Europe thing. And I just, it, every time I would see it when it had first come out, I, I would look at it and go, um, yeah, I really should just look into that a little bit more. And it was, you know, the rules were light and stuff. And I just dismissed, dismissed, dismissed. And I, I think I was cleaning up one of my wish lists or it was one of those things. And I, and I was just nuking games left and right because my, you know, wish list had gotten too big and, uh, you know, every year or so I have to do this. And so I would delete, delete, delete. And I got to this game and I'm like, okay, ugh, I can't really delete it because I'm still kind of curious about it. So I actually took the time to start looking into it a little bit more. And then I was like, nah, I don't even care. And <laughs> I'm way over selling this, right? But so I was like, you know what? I'm just going to order this. And uh, that way I can get it off my wish list. It was like, like one of the few times, I think I've done that maybe twice, uh, just to like get things off my wish list. And so I literally, I just bought it blind because nobody, I, nobody had done a review of this thing. Nobody uh, had ever heard of it when I asked anybody about it. And so then I just bought this game. And so I get the game and I, I, I played it. I really, really liked it. And then I started bringing it around and everyone that played it really, really liked it. It was very simple to teach. Uh, it, it had meaningful strategy and choices. It played quick. Uh, there, there actually, I found out after the fact, there's an online implementation of it on a, on a kind of a rare site, uplay.it. So I guess that's, yeah, Italy site. And it's yeah. by an Italian game designer and uh, Da Vinci Games, I think it is. And uh, so I actually played online and uh, believe it or not, I, I'm undefeated. Uh, although I've only played it, I think, eight times, but I've never lost. Uh, so that alone, if it's, some people have complained it's too random, and but you know this is this is maybe my ideal argument, right? Okay, if it's so random, how do I win eight times in a row? Oh, and I'm sorry, I should say against top-rated people on the site. So I'm I'm actually ranked uh, maybe eighth all time out of thousand, you know, several thousand people because I did beat the better players. Uh, now, so basically, it's very random and has an extremely high degree of luck because you got lucky. Yeah, there you go. Uh, well, no. So there is there is a complaint about the game that's valid, and it's it's and what it is true. Although it's been fixed, what it is is the game is much more strategic with two players than with four. So I actually give the game a ten. It's a perfect ten, and one of the other rare tens for me. Uh, and especially considering it's un, an underrated game, this then it stands out even more as a ten. And it really is because of the two player experience. I mean, it's perfectly, really. Um, Really, I, to an extent, I don't know that there is randomness for me. I and mean, once you understand the game, uh, the better players should win. Now, the problem you have with three and four player games is 
you draw, there is like a secret objective card that you draw and you're trying to, there's certain bonus points associated with uh, conquering those cities by placing your tiles. And if you should happen to draw the same symbol as an opponent and that third player or fourth player doesn't draw any that are uh, duplicated, they'll have a, a, a much easier time probably in achieving that than you will. Now, there is a variant, and it was always baked into the cards, where you can basically make sure by ahead of time that nobody gets duplicates. And so that's published up on BGG, a little variant the designer put. Um, so I very much recommend that for anybody who's playing with more players and, and sees that as an issue. Other people enjoy that as part of the game, and it really hasn't been an issue for me when I've played with more. But... After playing it tons and tons and tons of times, I will say I do prefer it the other way because once you, you do get well-versed in, in the strategy of it, then it's it's fun to play it more at that serious level and not at the more lighter level that the game also is good for. And it is a that's what is also excellent about the game. It would completely work as a gateway game for people who have basically never even played any game before. Uh, and at the same time, you know, it's good enough strategy wise that it can be that deep that, you know, I can, I can win eight times in a row against not just new players, but skilled players. So I'm very much, very much a fan of the game, you know, check it out. Any, any other games that come to mind? One other one I want to mention real quick is, uh, Familia from, uh, Freedom and Freeze. It's a little card game. Uh, it also has a Yukata, uh, implementation. The, the card game, you know, comes in one of those little typical, like, Z-Man uh, card game boxes, you know, those yeah. little guys. And it's it's really fun. It's a very interesting game where you have a whole slew of different gangsters, essentially. And you're working to build up the strength of these gangsters. So each of them is numbered one through four. There's four different kinds. And the, or three different kinds, I forget now. And you just work your way up in strength. So if you have like two zero levels, then you can grab a one. If you have two ones, you can grab a, a two, etc. But it's a fun little game. The, the cards kind of have a little bit of an odd shape to them. So they're not your traditional, uh, you know, height to width ratio that most cars have. It, it's got that odd freedom and freeze size a little bit. But the game, you, you really never hear about it, but it, it's a lot of fun. It, it's definitely a lot of fun. I don't know if Yukata does it justice. Unfortunately, I guess that's yeah. be said by a lot of games. But it, it it is fun. My wife and I okay. enjoy it quite Yeah, a bit. and the, I mean, the last one I've had, which I've mentioned before, is Ivanhoe, and that's a Reiner Knizia game, a GMT games. Uh, it's in the same form okay. factor as Dominant Species, a card game. And in fact, some people have compared Ivanhoe or that game to Ivanhoe. Uh, Ivanhoe is another perfect 10 sort of game for me, but only with two players. I, I haven't played that one as much with more. I, I, I still enjoy it, but there there's more randomness to it than... And with two players, it's just the the way that it plays out is is very much uh, satisfying, and, and and it does have some of that same do I I, I just pass and lose this round and, and fight the next time, uh, but I think a better system for it, a better system for scoring, and uh, very much a game of his 
that I enjoy. It's also been the basis for some other games like, uh, I think even Beowulf, one of the Beowulf games. Um, one of them was based on kingdoms. The other one was based on Ivanhoe. And, and in, in both cases, they kind of took a good core game and just made a mess of it by trying to add more stuff and, 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 uh, other silly levels of theme to it. So this is sort of the original game. Uh, one I very much like uh, from some time ago. But actually, uh, another good point about both of these games, they can be picked up pretty cheap. So you, if, you, if you're actually looking for any of those games we mentioned, Toys for Thought, which is sort of almost like a Tanga-type site to me anyway, in terms of good deals on, on some, uh, we'll call it, less popular or, or overstocked games, they have Gonzaga right now for $19.99, which is an excellent deal, considering all the plastic in, in, the, in the game and the board. Uh, and they have the... Famiglia, which Rob mentioned, for $9.99. And, uh, and I know uh, Ivanhoe is, is usually, you can pick that up at GMT Games, uh, you know, with their half-off coupon or otherwise discounted with any of the different promos that they run. So all, all three of those are had at, at pretty affordable prices, and definitely I recommend them. Last thing for Todd was uh, on the Muterer game. So uh, Muterer is one of those where... There is um, a good game hiding in there somewhere. I think a lot of people, a lot of podcasters, I, I guess, a lot of reviewers really love this game. And the the, the problem with it, and this is this is a, probably the most common criticism of the game, is it's really really hard to teach, like really really hard to teach. And uh, it's it's so difficult a game to explain to others that it almost limits its usefulness as a filler, right? So if you've got a filler game, the whole point is, you know, throw it down and play it with anyone quickly. Uh, but it, it was just kind of really inaccessible to new players. And uh, that's kind of the biggest problem I had with it, not that it wasn't a good game. So if you have a, a dedicated game group where you're looking for a filler, you're going to play all the time with that with that group, then this might be a good game. Uh, it, it, of course, again, it doesn't play with two, so it's really that three or four player game. And, uh, it, I think it was still too random for my taste. There's a really small hand size that you get. And that, because you have a small hand size, you're, uh, you're relying on luck more in order to get the, you know, the, the right size and, and type of set needed. And th- there's some other game things that set that, that try to mitigate that a little bit, but I didn't feel like it really went far enough. I, I guess the one redeeming quality of the game is it is really strongly themed and does have that sort of fun mutiny aspect to it. And so I guess uh, th- that's, I'm sure, the reason for its popularity. And when you think about filler games again, how, how deep can the theme go? Well, this is as, as, as deep as it can go. Uh, and that's uh, that's the best part about it. <laughs> Okay, so then we have an excerpt from uh, a listener named Jennifer. Hi, I've joined your guild, and I go by Sophie Morgan on BoardGameGeek.com. Just in passing, I'd like to request if you guys are lucky enough to get an advanced copy of Mice and Mystics to review, that would be great, because I kind of think it would be something I'd enjoy, but then I see some things that I think I wouldn't enjoy about it. And so, you know, if you guys get a chance to do a review of it, I think it'd be great, particularly if you could offer up a 
an explanation or an opinion on the two-player experience. Thanks. Okay, so that was pretty straightforward. Any thoughts on that, Rob? <laughs> no, sir. So Jennifer was asking for a uh, review copy of Mice and Mystics, if we could uh, do that. And uh, I think absolutely, it's uh, definitely a title I've been interested in and to get my wife to play everything. But little there is about it just is basically a, a game where you're all turned into mice and you're you're going through this a, a bit of a storytelling adventure. But then there's also a, a bit of almost like this, I want to almost say like a dis- descent type setup. Uh, where you're moving around on on squares and a grid and and doing different things. So I'll reach out to uh, Plaid Hat and see if I might be able to uh, to snag an, an earlier copy and uh, and get something up in the way of a review for that. So Next thing comes to us from Matthew. Just wanted to say that I am a new listener to your podcast after finding your BGG blog, and I've been enjoying your show so far. I especially like how you time log the different parts of the podcast, making it easy to jump to the sections that are of particular interest. Keep up the good work. Regarding episode number 10, I was really happy to see Barbarossa finally get some mention on a board gaming podcast. It's gotten a lot of flack for its over-the-top artwork, which is a shame because there is a really good, unique game underneath the campiness. I would highly recommend the World War II photograph art version of the game. It will ensure Barbarossa sees a lot more playing time and allows the players to avoid embarrassing stares. Regarding the host's complaint about the random draws of the events that add defense to a city, that can be mitigated with the command card, which allows players to look at the top card of any deck and move it to the bottom of the deck if they want. Next time you play, try using them to scope out the event before attacking the city. I think you'll find with a few more plays, you'll see the strategy is much deeper than Dominion or Thunderstone, largely because the army cards you purchase can be deployed onto the battlefield, really trimming down your deck and line for focused playstyles. Finally, check out the sequel to L. Elamine for a game that takes deck building to a whole new level. It's even more in-depth and strategic than Barbarossa. As you can see, I'm quite passionate about the games. They are some of my favorites. Uh, Living in Japan, speaking the language, and understanding the culture that this type of strange game comes from certainly helps. Cheers, Matthew. Okay, Matthew. Well, uh, obviously no problem on the time log, and I've also looked into putting digital markers as well so they'll probably do that at some point yeah once we work that out yeah. uh another thing another thing i wanted to mention and and rob can pipe in here with the android version but i've been i've been telling anybody who i talk to about podcasts and there's a couple of people that have told me that ours is the first podcast that they've actually listened to and uh they've never really had had reason to or found a, a convenient way to listen to multiple podcasts we'll say uh, so this is actually something that's true of myself. I hadn't done a whole lot of listening to podcasts before I got into podcasting, and uh, now that I, I uh, now that we're doing the show, I've I've been listening a little bit more to different shows and, and on different topics and such. And so, what is simple enough when you're just listening to a random show here or there, uh, really kind of becomes a problem with 
lack of any good software application for that. So on the iOS, I went and I paid, I think it was $1.99 for an application called Downcast. And I'd, I'd spent some effort in evaluating, looking into the one, uh, a good podcast manager. And I found this one to do everything that I want to do. So unlike most podcasters that tell you to listen to them, uh, I'm going to tell you how not to listen to me. <laughs> so uh, getting getting Downcast uh, gives you the ability to forward easily through content. So it might be that you just want to skip 15 seconds or 30 seconds ahead or, or uh, maybe go back 15 seconds because your, your mind wandered and you missed what we were talking about. Jump forward two minutes, play us back at one and a third, one and a half, two times. Uh, of course, there's fast forward buttons and such too, but that's all baked into the player as well as you can set up rules. So obviously, since we're your favorite show, you're going to download all of our episodes automatically and you can set parameters for how many are kept. Uh, when they're deleted, you can over you can set an overall default. You can override that on a show by show basis. Uh, it it really has everything that you would possibly want in a podcast management application. So very much recommend that. It is also cloud synced. So if you have an iPad and an iPhone, when you pick it up on one device, all of your plays and shows will be in sync with your other ones, exactly where you had left off on each episode and so forth. So that's also very convenient for multiple device owners. Um, Rob, any uh, any thoughts on an Android equivalent? I don't know if they make that one or, oh, for sure. or not. Yeah, there's a lot of options on the Android front for different players. What do you use? Podcast-specific software. The two biggest ones are probably Dogcatcher and BeyondPod. Personally, I've been using BeyondPod for quite some time. I find that I really love the interface a lot better than uh, Dogcatcher. So what I wind up doing is for the shows that I listen to, and I, I listen to quite a few shows, uh, various tech and board gaming shows, being that I, I've got a fairly lengthy commute every day. I wind up uh, probably listening to three to four hours of shows uh, each day. And... What Beyond Pod uh, lets me do is well, several things that I really enjoy about this thing is I play back all of my audio podcasts at one and a half speed. You know, no offense to everybody out there that I think talks too slow. I'm offended. Whatnot, I'm offended but, by anyone who plays me like that. I should. I should but, probably uh, start doing it, but but then everybody sounds I, like it's more like a chipmunk. Then, so. It uh, well for Beyond Pod, you need a plugin. Uh, which is a separate uh, app and, I guess, separate mm-hmm. purchase as well. But it basically speeds everything up and it pitch corrects. Yeah, so yeah, it's not it's not bad with Downcast. Stuff. I like that Downcast has variable speed uh, acceleration. So you can use just the most subtle one or you can go uh, literally like four times or something like that. Oh, yeah. And with this, you can choose whatever speed you want. You can go... You know, 1.1, 1.2, times, whatever you want. And it also gives you the functionality of where you can, you know, skip forward 30 seconds. So I remapped my buttons. So, you know, the forward button jumps me 30 seconds. And then the back, I think I've got it set to go back 15 seconds. Just so when I'm zoning out while I'm crossing the street in downtown Chicago and, you know, just barely avoiding the taxi then i can just skip back yeah and and know, sometimes two, three hits and get you know back they're they're talking about lords of Waterdeep, which i've talked about myself a hundred times and I, I 
very little more of interest that I want to hear on a game such as that. So I'm going to forward through that section and and listen to something maybe about a game I, I haven't heard as much about. So Oh, yeah. And, you know, on some shows, as soon as, you know, the music starts kicking in and, you know, it's one of those sponsored ads. <laughs> boop, boop, boop. Well, that doesn't happen on our show. So. <laughs> yeah. So it's, yeah, Beyond Pod is really awesome. And then uh, just one final thing I wanted to mention about it is that when you do a video podcast, and there's quite a few out there, uh, I don't know if there's really any board gaming ones, but you know, a lot of the tech ones are video also where you can get mm-hmm. you know, the MP4 or, or whatnot, or M4A or whatever it is. But uh, when you, oh, what is it, like you sleep the screen, right. so like an Android you can hit the button and it blanks out yeah. the screen, the audio, I mean, the podcast still right. keeps Down, going. Downcast you does that as well, so you can multitask now. You can go do something else and still have the the podcast play. Or like in my case, you know, if I'm walking, I don't necessarily need to see it. So, you know, you can still listen to the audio and, you know, through the the phone or whatnot in your pocket. So those, those are the two big ones on Android. And there's usually a lot of them will also have, you know, phone and tablet versions. So they take advantage of the extra real real estate of the tablets. But uh, Beyond Pod, fantastic. Fantastic, so, good stuff, and and it also syncs really nicely uh, over Wi-Fi. So I have it pull all of my shows, uh, usually around six a.m. in the morning, so it's ready for my commute. Right. Okay. Well, then back to the other uh, other topics he had asked about uh, on Barbarossa, which I which I did review in that earlier episode. Yep. I, I do uh, I do love the comments and suggestions there. And uh, I, I had to check, and I actually had rated it a seven, which, which is really as high a game uh, as high a game can get without me going out and actually buying it myself, since I've sort of set the bar higher than before. Uh, but that is very much a positive rating. So um, even though I mentioned a couple little critical things there, those are just little items of concern. I, I do think the game's a good game. I think probably the fact that my wife wouldn't play it at all might have knocked it just under the cut plus being a little burnt out on deck building in general. and um, But, yeah, it's, um, well, let's let's just say this way. I, I checked out El, El Alamine, and uh, wow, I, you know, to, to say that Barbarossa has a, a, a sexy, uh, risque theme, at least the examples that are up on Board Game Geek are, uh, are, are almost a notch uh, higher. <laughs> so... As I, as I like to joke with my wife, I guess there's always my birthday for a, for a game like that. But yeah, I, I don't think um, that's going to go over so well. And uh, you know, I think a part of the problem with those games too is I'm, I just I loathe the idea of paste ups. Uh, you know, having to cut out all the little English translations and, and stuff them in yeah. there in the sleeves. So you know, that probably is a, a small additional reason why I haven't gone and acquired the game. And um, yeah, so. It, there, they are. It is a great, great game. I think any fan of deck building or any diehard fan of deck building owes it to themselves to go get Barbarossa and and uh, and see what it's all about, and kind of look past that art barrier and uh, and the language barrier. And there's actually a good gameplay beneath that for sure. So, 
but yeah, at this point, not anything I'm I'm looking to own myself. Next one is from Brendan J. Brendan writes in, Hey guys, I just found your show a couple episodes ago and I'm really enjoying it so far. It has made it right into my regular podcast rotation. Your discussion spanning the last few episodes about gaming online has been interesting and hit home with me. Though I am doing it almost in the reverse of what you seem to be mostly doing, uh, I do use online gaming to get more plays in of a few games I own, like Stone Age, and especially through the ages on BoardGamingOnline.com. But I've also been using Yukata as a way to learn some new games and try to get a sense as to whether I'd like them enough to buy them. I know that isn't quite as easy to learn online as it is in person, but I just put in the notes of the invite that it's a learning game. I also don't play any of my games live, also noted in the invite. So taking extra time to struggle through the rules while playing a game isn't really a problem. I've actually quite enjoyed the process. I heard about Zuloretto Werfelspiel on another podcast and then happened to see it on Yukata, so I gave it a try. And this has made me quite interested in the game. Anyway, keep up the great work. Happy gaming. Well, I, I guess to start with my response on that, I, obviously we've, between receiving that email, and we've done quite a bit of uh, talking about Yucatan and where it sits. I think we've pretty well covered that, but I will say, I think online board gaming plays, you, you have to be careful that it doesn't become a, a downward spiral too of, I almost wanted to say addiction, but, you know, further viral infection of, of board gaming obsessions and <laughs> uh, I, you know, I do wonder sometimes when I see the number of plays, I've mentioned that before, I, you know, not unlike MMOs or any of those other sort of addictive practices. The one other reason I think board games works for most people is because you do need other opponents and hopefully there's only so much availability those that you can play with have because they're busy with school or, or job or other elements in, in life, right? And so the possibility of getting to a cycle where you start uh, limiting those other items to the to the exclusivity of only gaming is is a little diminished in comparison to uh, digital forms, right? Um, so I so I occasionally get and not to, and obviously I'm speaking partially from possible experience here, <laughs> and at least at one point being maybe too obsessed with something or another digitally. Um, but that's, that's a definitely a concern, I think, with, with Yukata, especially with the number of games that are on there now and the number of people I'm seeing that have 900 plays of 10 different games and trying to do the math and go, you know, where, what, what else are you losing out in, on in life to, to, to get to a number like that? And, uh, uh, and also has it just become your only board gaming that you're doing, uh, with numbers like that? To, to where now you almost don't even need to own any board games. I mean, you're, they're just sitting on the shelf and you're just playing online. So I don't know. That's, that's definitely a worry I get. And that's why I, I do try to take breaks from 
online plays or any specific type of game and try to, which you could have done for me now, break myself from any obsession with scoring systems and that sort of thing. So I had checked out Africana on uh, Michael Schock's site and played that half a dozen times right. or so. That was a nice different thing with, with Summoner Wars and, and such. Uh, I've been playing that some on the iOS. I've purchased a variety of other games and Lahav and Hacienda, and I really haven't even gotten those played on the iOS yet. But, uh, you know, I might even go back to Vassal a bit or BSW, or I just kind of kind of change it up and go different places and, and then try not to get invested in all of them all at the same time. So, uh, but, you know, again, especially with now that I've got the local game store, there's uh, endless options there uh, since it's board game focused, the Wandering Dragon here in, in Plainfield. So probably... Probably definitely doing more tabletop variety myself for a while anyway. Uh, and then, of course, as my son's getting older. So, uh, yeah, so uh, it's interesting to hear the different opinions on Yucatan and, and that sort of thing. So I know lots of people use it different ways. I, I think as long as you uh, don't do it in excess and, you know, use it whatever way works for you. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm really impressed that Brendan uses Yucatan to actually learn the games because I've Always, and I've mentioned this before. I've always struggled I, I to have, learn games on there just yeah, because I have of the trouble disconnect. With the motivate, like if I have the game in front of me, I'm more motivated to learn it because I have it, and I can lay out all the pieces. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, you okay? I've got two screens, so I can put the rules up on one and the game on the other. But still, I can't sort of play through it necessarily. As I, it's just harder to do that sort of free form. It's maybe something about the way that I learn games, but. I do find it more difficult learning on Yucata than with a physical game. And one thing also that I've considered too, and I don't know how much this affects it, is that most of the time when I'm checking Yucata, I'm not really in a position where I can sit there and like ponder my move. True. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because the nature of it is that you kind of make your moves quick and and move on. And uh, that kind of, I, I suppose right. helps defend you know, the 900 plays, uh, although I, again, I worry that those people are, that's what they're doing at their job all day long as opposed to just a, a couple turns sneak here or there. Right. Because, I mean, I'll do that or, you know, I'll be on the train or something and, you know, just doing it on a phone, which isn't very, you know, the interface isn't the best because, you know, the screens are smaller. But, you know, you just... I don't have the time to sit there and try to remember, oh, yeah, okay, this was this game. And when I made my last move, I was planning X, Y, and Z. So now I'm going to carry this out. You know, it just, it's tough. So I guess uh, that, that's impressive that he does yeah. So okay. we've got a voicemail from Jeff in Plano, uh, Texas. Yeah, Plano, Texas. To Plano, Illinois, which is over by me. Hello, this board game life. This is Jeff down in Plano, Texas, and I uh, just wanted to leave you guys a quick message. And, and first of all, thank you for the wonderful show. 
Um, it's nice to have another new show on the scene. I listen to or have listened to most of them out there and, and love what you guys are doing. I love how, you know, episode by episode things seem to be maturing and progressing with the show. And it's fantastic. I know it must take an immense amount of time to develop content and record and produce a show on a regular schedule like that. Uh, and I speak, I think, on behalf of many listeners when I say, you know, thank you very much for doing all that. Um, second of all, being from Plano, Texas, I'm very, very fortunate to live just down the street from Madness Comics and wanted to second and third the opinions of, of others that have called in. Um, didn't realize at first how lucky I was to have a store like that so close to home until I visited some others. And, you know, I'm not a real comic guy, and that's a huge portion of the, the store. But at the same time, it, it definitely does not feel like a comic store that sells games. It feels like a, a game store and a comic store and lots of other cool, geeky stuff all rolled up into one. Um, everything they sell is full retail price, and of course, for the budget-minded game shopper, that can be a challenge at times, but uh, I try to buy every other game from them. You know, order one online cheap, and then uh, buy one at full retail from those guys to support the store. Um, I also buy all of my painting accessories, which is a ton for me, all the Army Painter products. They carry every color of primer that those guys sell, and, and uh, uh, numerous cans in stock all the time, all the different quick shade products, all that stuff, which I love. Um, I'm, I have a bit of a dice fetish. I buy all my dice from those guys. So I, I try to support them as much as I can. But at the same time, if I'm buying a $150 game and I can get it for $115, I might have to go the Amazon route once in a while. So um, thanks for recognizing them. I've posted on their, their Facebook page and, and communicated with Chris, the owner, to let him know what a great review you guys gave him. And so hopefully that will help drive some more listeners your way by putting that on their Facebook page. Uh, I, th I thought I would go ahead and comment also on the Kickstarter discussion that's that's come up lately, and, and I think you know my experiences with Kickstarter. And again, you know my collection is not immense. I think we've got between twenty five and, and thirty games now. I've gone to Kickstarter a few times when I hear on, on other shows that the ads for upcoming projects that sounded interesting, and, and frankly, I have not found one yet that I felt that the the offering was worth. Um, gambling on an untested game. Um, my philosophy is if I'm going to pay 40 or 50 bucks for a game that's going to be 40 or 50 bucks when it hits the store, if it hits the store, why not wait till it comes out and, and let some people play it and write some reviews and, and look at some pictures of the components um, before I plunk down the money? I think you know Kickstarter and, and crowdfunding in general is a very, very cool idea. Um, it, particularly outside of the board game world, uh, I think there's other lots of great ideas that that uh, could be brought to life through you know the, the crowdfunding model. But I just I haven't found a game yet that I felt like what they were offering was compelling enough for me to plunk down the money and support the project um, sight unseen, other than you know the propaganda that they put on there. So. Um, I guess that's my two cents. Thanks again for a great show. Thanks for, you know, keeping it real, I guess. Your your opinions and reviews always seem very sincere. Uh, I think the lack of the so-called promotional consideration, um, you know, helps stay away from that mindset. I think with other shows, a lot of us listeners wonder, hey, you know, this guy's getting these games for free or he's getting money or he's doing this for a living now. How sincere are these reviews? Is he just selling reviews to the game manufacturers? And I don't know that anybody does that. But at the same time, I think we've all seen those those speculative discussions out there on blogs and on, on Board Game Geek and everywhere else. So I joined the guild today on Board Game Geek and look forward to many, many more great shows from you guys. Thanks.
Thank you, Jeff, for that. And uh, we can talk through a couple of the points you mentioned. Uh, the, the, I think the first one you brought up was about accessories in game stores. And I would say that's, uh, I think I might have even mentioned in an early show, one of my criticisms about Rob's favorite game store is upon my visit there, I actually had gone there with the express purpose of picking up a dice tower, I think it was, and uh, some other items of, of those sort of accessories uh, in that accessories category and really wasn't able to find much there of of interest. And right. so, you know, my local game store has a little bit more uh, in regards to that, but it's I think it's always an area that's uh, worth improving. I mean, there's an endless amount these days of accessories for board game hobbyists. I mean, a favorite one of mine that comes to mind is that uh, Hugo's Magic Tape that a lot of people use to wrap their card decks and uh, in some cases game boxes and stuff like that. I'd, I've never really seen that in a, in a store, but I'd love to see that in a store, uh, you know, more than just, you know, sleeves and dice type of stuff. So, uh, so that's a good, good point. You know, on a, on a quick little segue about that Hugo's mm -hmm. stuff. I, did, I don't know if you knew this, Jeff, but I found out recently that there's like a craft version of it. So it's not Hugo's, but it's almost identical that's yep. available in the you craft can stores. also get it in adult stores there's a bondage variant so it's multi-purpose okay i will not ask for further clarification hey i, I, I didn't okay. i didn't know this either but <laughs> anytime i mention it on bbg right. it comes up and, and except it's apparently it's purple or something so i get it you can get it on yeah, your birthday yeah i, I birthday. like the clear variety myself so i i stick with the good old nice. hugo's I suppose if, if my friendly local gaming store should be listening to this podcast, your point about more expensive games being marked down, that is a very excellent, excellent, excellent point. And I thought about it, and you know, there's so many game stores that have strict retail pricing, and you think about the people that, and I, you know, I've, I've talked to this with game store owners before about trying to move more away from the only game purchases being more charitable purchases because like okay, I wanted to thank the store so I, I supported them and more towards I I want to buy my games at the store and uh, and it's not purely a, a charity effort and and this might be this might be one way to do that so if you have to stick to more of that retail pricing well those games that are fifteen dollar games and twenty dollar games and twenty five dollar games the delta Percentage-wise, if you think about maybe the standard 40% that gets thrown out there as, as an online game store discount, 40% off a $20 game would be $12. So that's an $8 hit, uh, not even counting tax or whatever. So that's, you know, it's it's sizable, but it's at the end of the day, you know, it's sizable percentage-wise, but $8 is $8. Well, now if you're talking about a $100 game, well, now the difference is obviously $40. And that's that's going to sting a little bit more. So to say, okay, you're you're going to charge strict retail for the twenty and thirty dollar games, or even thirty nine ninety nine uh, games, fine. But maybe those eighty nine ninety nine games and the hundred dollar games. I mean, you're you're are you really going to even be able to move those if you don't, you know, wedge that out just a little bit? So maybe those are the ones that have to have some concession. Uh, and, and there's a kind of more of an, an everyday price or at least an often advertised sale price on those. Uh, that might be uh, that might be something worth doing. And again, you, to get those that visit the store often to get out of the mindset of ever going to the online 
option, right? Where they go, well, you know, yeah, I'll buy those less expensive games in the store, but hey, you know, the hundred dollar game, no, I, I'm going to have to order that online. And oh, well, since I'm ordering it, now I'm going to throw in for free shipping, and I'm kind of getting in the in the habit of ordering online again, and that again, that's not good for the store. So, I think that's a, an excellent idea. I don't know that I've actually seen that suggested before, but a, a different level of discount for the games over a certain price point. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, and also, thanks for mentioning us on your store's page, which, you, you know, uh, for putting us up there. Uh, any Anybody that uh, promotes the show, links the show, certainly getting the word out there is something we can't do entirely on our own. So we appreciate any efforts to uh, to pass on uh, information about our show and that you like it and uh, suggested it. So uh, please, please continue to do that stuff. Uh, in regards to Kickstarter and the uh, why not just wait type of thing. Well, I think you're right in a... I think Rob and I both got to the point where there's probably less Kickstarter stuff that we're going to be willing to back. Yeah, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> Something's got to be pretty significant for me to Kickstarter. I've done. Although that Ouya, I think, is on Kickstarter. That Yeah, I hadn't even heard about that. but I've been. I, I checked it out the other day. That, that but, piqued my interest. Yeah, that's. it's hard not to be behind the object of that, which is just, just to make a an inexpensive free platform that any any indie developers can develop for uh, not have this huge hurdle so that might be something worth checking out uh, that's not strictly board game related but yeah i mean i've backed a few you know maybe the excuse for show content or something i don't know but the so many of them are getting delayed and so many of them are getting like i talked about sedition wars with the borderline predatory tactics of of getting to where it's four and five hundred dollars to even just get everything and I'm also not a real big fan of getting a game and having everybody else's names and initials carved into it just because they they donated more. I, I don't know. It, yeah, because just a couple of days ago, I got D-Day dice yeah. uh, in the mail, and it was cool to see my name in the book. But, you know, for what I paid for it and what I got, and don't get me wrong, the, the quality on the game itself is, is pretty good. But I don't know if it was really worth it to get the handful of extras. Yeah, you, you backed at almost rather back at the wait. higher level. And see that and that was one I was I was really angry. I, I had kind of I talked about it once before, but it, nothing had really interested me about the game and I dismissed it very quickly because I've played much more involved war games and this is kind of a silly little light dice thing. So I really hadn't paid any attention to it. And then finally at some point the buzz gets to you and you sort of take a little bit more serious of a look and I, and I was like oh, you know what it actually kind of does look a little interesting I definitely would at least like to try it and then I looked at what it would cost to get you know I think they were going for $150 to transfer people's um, you know, even more basic level ones at the time and and then I, you know, I almost I almost was hyped up enough that I wanted to do that because I hey I'm used to paying a hundred dollars and five hundred dollars for Kickstarter games. What difference is one hundred and fifty? It's like set a whole new price point. Right. And then I realized like I could get the game once it's released for I don't know whoa twenty two dollars or some some ridiculously low amount yeah. on online. And I was like, well, hmm, for for a game I wasn't even really that interested in the first place from a company who doesn't have the best track record with me, yeah, maybe that's the right way to go about this. So, yeah, and as I start sure. to look at other games, you know, same type of thing. But, yeah, hey, Kickstarter is its own topic and one we've talked too much about uh, too many times. So I'll, I'll refrain from any further tangents on that and just say, yeah, I think everybody needs to ask themselves that question. Why not just wait more often? And And that's hard. I mean, it's... You get you really get caught up in the hype because, you know, with the 
D-Day dice, and I'm not going to drag this out, just a quick pointer. With the DDA dice thing, it was hard to actually talk myself down from, you know, just dumping a whole boatload of money into it. I, you know, I think I wound up getting one level above the base. And, you know, I got a little array of extras that everybody got. But, you know, even with that, I, I'm not 100% sold that it was worth the extra above the base as yeah. it is. You know, I can't, I can't imagine like, I, I seriously probably would have had buyer's remorse if I went at, in at the big, big level. Yeah. So on to... Mike from Katy, Texas, another another Texas listener, uh, voicemail. This is Michael Zinman from Katy, Texas. If Todd from Winnipeg can actually write and record a message, I guess I can work up enough energy to do the same. I'm just like him. I listen to far too many podcasts because I also have a boring government job. And Well, I'm not sure why I want to highlight that, but it's true. So let's see, dice games. Raw, the dice game. Fifteen minutes? No way. It's not like it's a very long game, but boy, I just can't see how you can get through a game that fast. Uh, dice games to recommend. I'd pick Martian dice over zombie dice. It's just a little bit more to it, but still, it's pretty simple and accessible to non-gamers. Uh, our group's favorite dice game probably right now has to be Dragon Rampage. And it's probably not going to go over well with lots of people because it's like they kept playtesting and playtesting and refining and published and forgot and put the original rule book in that hasn't had all the updated playtesting information in it. They released a fact, and Richard Lanius answers a lot of questions on BTZ, so, you know, you can, you can sort it all out. But uh, we're having a lot of fun with that one. Um, I agree with you that you can't get too fanatical about trumping games in your collection. Uh, as long as you can see any difference between the two games, then sure, keep them both. But for me, there was things like Memoir 44 and Battle Lore. Yeah, to me, they were just too similar. So, Battle Lore stayed, Memoir is gone. Uh, the only one that has a really stretch to it, I guess, was I had to go against Battlestar Galactica versus Shadows of a Camelot. And yeah, they're just trader co-ops, and that's about all they have in common, but... I knew I wasn't going to be getting both to the table very often, so I had to go one way or the other. So Galactica wins, Camelot's gone. So anyway, keep it up. Uh, I can't promise to be calling a lot, but I'll be writing. See ya. Looks like we have another government uh, worker who needs uh, his day filled with our excellent content. <laughs> and this show will fill up a good part of the, of yeah. the day. Uh, okay, so he's, Mike's recommending Martian Dice over Zombie Dice. I don't know about you, Rob, but I guess I'll have to take his word for it. I, I've not yeah. played Martian Dice. I have played Zombie Dice. Yeah, I've got. Yeah, I've got the. Also. I've got actually the app for it, and it, it is a funny thing with the pusher luck games, where you know, at one at one level, you're calling it stupid, and this is this is uh, you know, silly, random, simple, stupid. But on another level, you're like, you've just played it ten times in a row, and you're going, damn. So. Uh, <laughs> It's like playing solitaire. Yeah, just one one more time, right. one more game. So I mean, I yeah, I guess 
those games are in a category all of themselves. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't actually know the difference with Martian dice, so I, I I guess I've not I've not really been compelled to move past zombie dice, but if it's better, that would only be a yeah, good thing to me. Either. So, uh, Dragon Rampage is a is a game suggestion. Uh, sort of worried about the rules comment that was made in regards to how confusing and, and so forth they were, but I this is the yeah you know one, I. Right? The thing for me was I kind of tire of the lackluster graphical design that, that Eagle's been doing on some of these Lanius games. I, oh, I, I yeah. don't like the grade, like the, like the grade school gradient thing. I mean, I'm two minutes with, with Photoshop and I have a better gradient than what they've used in this. And I don't, I don't get that. You know, that said, I did back Defenders of the Realm Battlefields just because again, another game where you're fighting over uh, with numbers fighting over uh, objectives in the center, but probably better themed than Dominant Species, the card game. Uh, it seems like there's a little bit more to it. So this uh, this definitely uh, appealed to me, and despite the sort of, again, lackluster graphical design. So I went ahead and backed that one. But, you know, after after Couriers, I wonder if Dragon Rampage would be for me. It, it doesn't play two at all, and it's in that category where I'm... I'm kind of doubtful I'm going to love it enough to bring it around with me versus other better, longer, more involved games. But I would be curious to try it. And, you know, I, I did look at some of the reviews. It hasn't exactly gotten stellar ones, but this is maybe why Eagle needs to send out more review copies. Maybe maybe this is one I should ask for because there is definitely some potential that I could like it, but I don't know if I'm I'm ready to just plunk down cash for it. Yeah, I remember looking at this game at the store. And then I just went straight to the player count. Yeah. Yeah. Three. You know, I will say. And then it went straight back on the show. From a gamer feedback perspective, I don't know that I've heard any bad things. It's kind of the opposite of reviewers. Reviewers haven't been liking this game, but I've heard. I do know a couple of people that, that have it that aren't maybe directly in my game group, but I've had the conversation with, and they did say they liked the game. And, and uh, so maybe... Maybe it's just one of those games that doesn't sit well. Like there's always the movie like that, right? That reviewers hate, but is just otherwise a fan favorite. Maybe maybe oh, this yeah. is one does well for some reason. So I, I I'm definitely putting on a list to kind of check into further. It's you know for the reasons I listed, it sort of was off my radar. But I I am a fan of the other games related to it, so. Uh, might be worth checking out because Richard Launius he puts out some solid. Well, games. I like Defenders of the Realm. Mm. Uh, and I prefer it actually over Pandemic, though I do need to revisit Pandemic with the expansion. Believe it or not, I've never played with the expansion. On the brink. So uh, I've heard good things about that. Uh, but outside of that, I kind of prefer the, the Defenders of the Realm approach. And uh, that's, um, again, sort of my interest in Battlefields and, and perhaps somewhat to Dragon Rampage as well. So, uh, And then uh, in regards to trumping games uh you know you had said um mike had said memoir was out for him and battle lore was in and for me it was more battle lore was out and battles of westeros was in i I felt that fantasy flight did look at my specific complaints of of battle lore and it probably didn't although i think i had posted them but but mine seemed to share with some of the others out there, and they sort of specifically solved those things in Battles of Westeros. And so I was sort of eternally grateful that, uh, that, that at least somebody 
noticed those same things and, and, and took what was good and kind of combined it with some new ideas. And I, for me, it sort of went the right direction. And, and Battle Lore, I, I always kind of saw that as the fantasy game, but yet it never scratched the fantasy itch. The lore, that wasn't wasn't enough magic in it until the Dragons expansion and Creatures expansion. There hardly were even any monsters in the thing. And so it always did sort of sit as this weird sort of historical, sort of fantasy game, but not really good at either one of them. And, and then you got Battles of Westeros in there with the setting that it had. And I just, even the miniatures are better because they're not that sort of almost cartoony look that Battle Lore had. I, I like the more serious approach Battles of Westeros had, even though if you do have to glue some of them together, which is kind of annoying. But yeah, and, you know, Memoir, I, I actually looking to go acquire that probably for my son as, as a nice intro to that sort of thing uh, because Battles of Westeros is maybe a little heavier than I'm going to introduce him to at the point where he's ready for that. So, and you know, in, for, in terms of the the Galactica, Battlestar Galactica, Trumping Shadows over Camelot, then I say, yeah, any day, very much prefer that game over Shadows. So I, I don't think you need both of them. I think that's a great example. So uh, yeah, lots of lots lots of opportunities to trump games. So uh, thanks for the uh, comments on that, Mike. Next, we have a voicemail from Levi, and uh, here's a excerpt from that. Hey guys, Levi here, Rookers on the Geek. Um, just wanted to give you a call and let you know that I've enjoyed the show. Been a lot of uh, good information coming out of us so far. Um, the review process you guys do is excellent. The production quality is excellent. Um, sound quality is excellent. All things you guys have heard before. Um, my only criticism to you guys would be that at times it seems sometimes the conversations are a bit one-sided. Um, maybe a little bit of input, even if it's just asking questions, would help. But that's about it. Okay, so thank you, Levi. Glad you like the, uh, the quality of the audio and such, and we've been working to improve it. I actually, show by show, we're doing more and more post-processing and other things to improve audio quality all on all fronts. And uh, just in, in regards to the one comment, uh, you know, where we, we have had the occasional long-winded segment of just one contributor, well, there are other podcasts where you have one person talking for the whole show, so certainly that's just a matter of taste. But we'll say... I like the back and forth banter too, Rob, right? And it's always good, but oh, absolutely. it does in some cases. Right. Sure. All right. Uh, it, it does drag out sometimes the conversation and uh, it can lead to more side conversations, tangents, and that sort of thing too. So uh, what we tend not to do, the pre-recorded segments as certain other shows do, a lot of people like that, right? A little more scripted, more rehearsed, not interrupted, clear concise to the point well we do try to do a little more of the ad hoc you know still based on some outline and prep work but naturally there's times where that's going to lead to one-sided conversations a game that i've not played or rob's not played or a topic that we otherwise didn't have as much info on sure we could feign and fake certain questions and comments back and forth but 
We just try you know, to keep it real. I don't know about you, Jeff, so. but I don't, I don't want to fake yeah. anything. <laughs> I don't fake. I don't like, wanna I want to be real. real too. That's, that's where no, genuine. You know, you look at last, the last show, you know, we talked about Descent. His, I mean, Descent at that time was an early release, you know, wasn't fully available. And you had played it and I hadn't seen it. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, you know, so I could, so, I could have seeded that with questions and, and such, you know, oh, so Jeff, what did you think about the dice? Well, I'm glad you asked Rob <laughs> the dice system, but it's. How is the shrink wrap on the box? Was it I, I think we just shrinky? prefer that that comes naturally. So uh, yeah, it's certainly yeah. a matter of taste. Uh, you know, I, I, for one, don't particularly like the pre-recorded segments i don't like re- being read to most of the time we're reading feedback here but that's different i don't like reading things that i've written to uh to listeners i, I think it sounds um it, it sounds too much more like a lecture and less like you're part of a conversation or listening in uh to a to a group of friends and i, I like to like to think of it more as more of a community or uh again a, a larger group of friends and, and less like i'm dictating to you or lecturing you uh, and that this is a teacher student relationship so yeah so we we just keep it more real hopefully hopefully uh there'll be more segments that uh that that fit your uh, preferences and criteria yeah and i'd like to think of this show as kind of like ever evolving so you know what the show was on episode one isn't what it is today Right, and, and including our I'm sure a couple of shows down, it's going to be our different. our whole method of producing the podcast and post processing. All of that has evolved and changed. Uh, hopefully, all for the better, and I'm sure it'll continue to. So, thanks for that. So next up we have yeah. Dan from Cincinnati. Hey, Robin Jeff, this is Dan from Cincinnati. I enjoy your show. You know, I especially like that you actually give negative reviews and negative comments about games. That's pretty unique. Um, I would love to hear more about war games on your show, even though I realize that's not your main focus. Uh, but keep up the good work. Thanks. Okay. So what I had, I had a couple comments on that. So uh, Dan talks about negative reviews there. And, you know, I just wanted to reaffirm that I think they do help in all cases. And, you know, all any, any press is good press. There's these days, there's so many board games out there that just talking about a board game is good for it. Even, even if it is negative. Again, I, I think negative is also subjective. Most of the time, even when I'm being thought of as, as talking negative, it's really more neutral or I, I'm simply saying, hey, there's there's positive parts and negative parts, but for me, there weren't enough positive items to, to really meet the, the bar. So uh, that doesn't necessarily mean it's a terrible game, and hopefully you're looking at the other details there. But the other aspect to it is most designers are going to have more than one game. So I hope uh, you know, very much that a designer wouldn't take it personally because yes, some of their games I love, some of them I like, some of them I don't, maybe I downright hate, but I've, I've had at least one conversation with a first time designer on that point and not everyone takes criticism. Well, fortunately I do. The, the one other thing I wanted to say is 
I do try to and like very much when other reviewers recommend something instead. So if you're going to say, you know, this is a terrible, terrible game, or this is an okay game, but I just, there's other games that I like more that are similar, those I'd recommend instead. Or, you know, hey, this designer has done some quality games. I like these ones. So check out these games by this designer instead, uh, or by this publisher instead. I think that's also a, a fair way to uh, to deliver more neutral to negative criticism as well. And so that's something I have tried to do more of. Uh, on the mention of war games, I did cover a bunch uh, a couple episodes back on our Game Lust segment. Uh, the other thing I'll say about that is with war games, it's a little bit harder to review them as someone who plays a lot of different games because you don't want to review a game after just one play. A lot of war games do take longer to play, so it's harder to get in multiple plays. And there's a lot more war games where, and I would give an example of No Retreat, the Russian Front. This is an example of when not to review a game, because I, I see that it's a more modern take on war games. And, you know, I come from more of the classic background of playing them decades ago. And when I compare it to, say, a Victory Lost, which was a new take on, 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 on an old uh, topic, which had some new, clever mechanics combined with some old-school stuff. You know, that that worked for me. The problem I had with No Retreat is I don't know that that it was satisfying in a way that worked for me, but I really only I really only saw that even partway into a, in, into a play. So I, am I going to review a game based on half of a play when I go, I don't think this game is really going to be something I'm going to enjoy, that I'm going to want to play multiple times. It's There's nothing wrong here. It looks really innovative and everything else, but... Yeah, so so I, I don't think we're going to see a lot of war games probably get reviewed on, on the show, just kind of the occasional one that I'm able to get enough plays in on. Uh, maybe it's more approachable, or maybe it's a topic that I really, really like. Pacific World War II, tactical World War II, some Civil War, maybe some ancient stuff. Those are kind of the go-to topics uh, in, in war games for me. So not much else outside of that. Those are the types of things I'm going to get played multiple times and be able to review. I am working on a show about my favorite Avalon Hill games of old. I've pretty much been working on that since episode one. So at whatever point I get that fully vetted and done, I will run through, we'll say maybe a top 25 uh, Avalon Hill games uh, from back in the day, you know, maybe in the next, somewhere in the next half dozen episodes. So hopefully, uh, hopefully that you might find interesting too. So uh, thanks for the, the feedback on that, Dan. Now we've got a voicemail from Chris. Hey there, Jeff and Rob. This is Chris Norwood from GamerChris.com. I thought I'd just give you a little bit of audio feedback. So uh, first thing, let me mention, I, I really do appreciate you talking about my blog just a little bit. And want to let you know that I wrote that um, that little podcast review and had you on my Rising Stars after listening to the first five episodes all in one weekend. I think mostly when I was you know, vacuuming and mowing and things like that, doing some housework. And um, ever since then, I've just continued to be a fan. And you're definitely now at the top of my list as well uh, in that uh, premier group of pods, the podcasts that I listen to all the time. So thanks a lot. Um, you know, I really am, like I said, a fan. I, I definitely appreciate uh, the level of knowledge that, that both of you seem to have about 
board games. Um, you know, you're not, I listen to some podcasts, I think where people that are so excited about the hobby that they've just recently gotten into, they just want to get out there and, and put out a podcast. And, and frankly, as a person who um, has been in it for a while, it can be a little painful to listen to that where people don't necessarily have the background and, and have the frame of reference to, to work from. Um, but, but you, you guys definitely have that. You, um, you're right in there and just the number of games that you, you play and, uh, kind of the comparisons you can make and, uh, and all that kind of thing. It definitely, uh, adds a lot of validity to everything you say. And, and personally, I think your, your opinions are very similar to my own as, as well. Um, I think another important thing is, is what's very clear in your ideas about reviews and what reviews should be, uh, mainly the fact that you don't try to explain the game. I mean, it just drives me crazy, all these people who uh, feel like the whole purpose of a review is to teach the game to somebody. And, you know, if I want someone to teach me the game, then I'll go look for something to teach me the game. Or even better, I'll just read the freaking rules myself. But um, when I want a review, when, I, when I'm going for that, it's about opinions. And you definitely... Uh, you're all about giving those opinions and um, and saying not only you know if you like the game or not, but why you like it and why you don't like it, or um, what kind of people might like it. So um, I definitely appreciate that. Um, let me get into just a little feedback about the the Stefan Feld episode. I know you've gotten a lot of uh, positive feedback about that, and and for, for the most part, I agree as well. I do think you're you're a little bit rough on Notre Dame. Um, from my plays, my experience with it, you know, it's been a, a previous game of the month with my game group. Um, I, I think there's more depth there than you're giving it credit for. You know, maybe it's not as deep as some others, but um, but it seems to me, you know, more than just a, a light little cube pusher like you kind of seem to imply. Uh, also with Macau, Macau was actually my game of the year uh, for uh, 2010, and um, it's been my experience has been completely different than yours has. Every group that I've uh, you know brought it to, both my regular game group and some people I've introduced it to at, at game days or at uh, conventions, have just loved it. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, there's some pressure there, but that's one of the hallmarks, like you said, of Stefan Feld's games that um, he kind of has that uh, those teeth. You know, the things that are putting pressure on you and um, make you have to struggle a little bit against the game itself. And um, and you know, the way that the dice are used there, there's definitely some randomness. But at the same time, you know, there's a lot of that is how much um, you're willing to accept, both by the cards you draft, uh, by you know the turn order, which you have pretty much complete control over. You know, how many. Uh, how much cubes you put into the wall moving forward to get it, you know, ahead in that turn order. And, um, again, I just find it really, really enjoyable. Yeah. I, I appreciate your, um, comparing it to Trajan and definitely look forward to playing that. I just haven't had a chance yet. Um, I haven't gone through the trouble of tracking down a copy and, and I'm looking forward to when it's more available, which I understand it's going to be soon. Um, but still Macau, I think, uh, definitely a better game than you give it credit for as well. However, I completely agree with your um, your love for the speaker shot. It's it's to me one of the most um, unique and clever sort of bidding auction games that have that have come out recently. Um, I think Strasbourg is right up there with it as well. Um, just definitely against Stefan Feld, he he seems to have a new take on kind of the whole auction and bidding, and and I, I think that's the, both of those games are, are really really excellent. So uh, again, a, a great whole podcast. Um, and uh, thank you for, for giving me even some more insight to games I even haven't played by him uh, since he is one of my favorite designers um, or just uh, maybe give me some things to argue about a little bit for the games that I do like. Um, one question I do want to ask, uh, you've talked a lot about Zulero Verfenspiel. 
um, and I do appreciate the contest here. Um, but I think you know, you've talked about a lot about the different Zuloretto games and how they kind of compare and maybe how the, the dice game fits into that. Um, but it seems to me like, uh, you know, obviously the original game in the whole series was Coloretto. And then they expanded it to Zuloretto and maybe a little bit further with Aquaretto. And now they seem to be bringing it back both in Zuloretto Mini and now the, the dice game. Um, and really, to me, the question I want to ask is how does the dice game for Zuloretto compare with the, the card game Coloretto? Um, because it seems like they're they're boiling it down and boiling it down to get to the, the same sort of... Uh, decisions that you had to make originally in, in the card game. So, um, you know, if you've had a lot of experience with both of them, I'd like to know your opinion about that. Um, and then since I've uh, been talking for long enough, I think, um, I just want to finish up with, uh, again, thanking you for, for uh, mentioning GamerCrest.com. It's always nice to hear people who are... Um, you know, who are listeners, her readers rather. And actually I'm looking for some listeners because I've recently started a podcast of my own, uh, called exploring games. So I'd appreciate, uh, anybody that's interested in coming over and hearing some more about, uh, very similar to this podcast as it does to, to talk about some of the deeper aspects of gaming rather than just teaching you the rules to a lot of games you'll probably never play. So anyway, thanks a lot. Just keep up the great work guys. And, uh, I'll definitely, uh, keep listening. Okay, Chris. Well, thanks for your positive comments on the show. Quite positive. In fact, and uh, thanks to all the others who have shared feedback as well. You know, as far as Rob's background and my background, yeah, we thought that would make a nice contrast. And uh, we've we've mentioned that a couple times now. On uh, teaching games and reviews, we uh, very much agree. Uh, in fact, I, I mean, I try to, if I do outline different things about the game, I'm, I'm not all inclusive. I, I don't, don't usually include more than is necessary to make the point about a like or dislike, and I, I try to interject it right. with the other commentary. Uh, specifically in podcasts, I think it's it's a terrible way to teach games. Now, of course, there is a podcast that seeks to do just that, and oh, yeah. I, I, I don't know. And I, I know some of the shows that I listen to that do that. I, I kind of tune it's out. It's <laughs> very difficult. I mean, more power to yeah. those who are descriptive enough and can paint that picture, but I mean, as they say, you know, picture is worth a thousand words. So uh, most of the video reviews already run long and that's when you're seeing the game and seeing, you know, things. And, and that's almost already too long for me. I'd rather just read the rules myself type of thing in a lot of cases. Sure. So, yeah, I mean, that's something I don't think we'll ever do to any uh, great extent and uh, very much in line with the type of podcast I prefer to listen to. So, but that also means that you care about someone's opinions and, and commentary. And, and maybe, uh, again, it's less that anyone listens for opinion as much as the reasons for it, right? And so that's certainly something I try to articulate better. And, and therefore, you're not listening for rules explanation or opinion so much as the, um, you know, the, the commentary on, on things I did and didn't like and that sort of thing. And then draw your own conclusion from those uh, points. So on, on Notre Dame, yeah, I mean, I mean, I, we've talked about this a, a, no, a number of times now, but I just, something had to be my least liked. And, and Jeff, uh, I'm still waiting for oh, you to give me a copy, by the I way. I sold it now. So. <laughs> well, okay. You need to find a copy, buy it <laughs> yeah. and give it to me. Yeah, I would have, but of course I think the, the very day we talked about that, I, I got the little ding on my uh, phone and, and somebody had just <laughs> you know bought it. So yeah, both, Actually, I don't believe no, you. No, it's, it's, it's gone. You're just saying So that. is Macau. I know you still have it. Yeah. 
Uh, I'm pretty good at, at passing along. When I say I'm good at getting rid of games, I also mean like not just marking them to get rid of, but actually going ahead and selling them and, or trading them or whatever in a timely fashion as opposed to years later. Right. So, yeah, Notre Dame is gone. And again, something had to be my least like Feld. But overall, I'm a fan of all of his games. Uh, Macau is is really the Jones theory working. So, I, I again, just to say, if and, and I know you had said you hadn't played uh, Trajan, Chris. So you know, once you have, come back and tell me if you still like Macau as much. I, I'm guessing you'll like it as much. If you do, it's because you've just played it so much. Uh, and in time, as you play Trajan more, I'm thinking you're going to at least prefer Trajan over Macau, even if it's not enough so that you Jones theoried away uh, or whatever it is. So uh, Macau is still high in my rankings. It's still something I'd have if I was a collector. It's it's really just that whole Jones theory working and saying I'd rather play Tra- uh, Trajan um, than Macau. I find them similar and scratching the same itch. So Zularetto Warfelspiel for the same, you kind of bring up the same point, a point I actually, I don't know that I had mentioned before is that versus Colorado. Well, yeah, I mean, at first thought I go, Ooh, maybe I don't need Colorado anymore. But then as I started analyzing, there are some subtle differences. And when you think of them both as simple games, the differences are enough that they, that they're set apart. So Without really getting into the details, I don't need to anymore because it just so happens you won one of the copies in our contest. So uh, feel free to uh, to analyze that yourself and and uh, contribute uh, some quick feedback on that. Is is to which one you think uh, eliminates the need for the other, if either. So uh, that's that. And then uh, yeah, you uh, you mentioned that you started your own podcast since you uh, began listening to our show so uh i don't i hope that maybe we've inspired you to uh, do that if uh if not maybe maybe it was the opposite uh, but but sounds like you like our show so uh, uh please uh return the mention on your show of ours i uh, have actually put out feelers to other podcasts in the early days and asked for a mention and and no one did. Uh, no one even returned that, and including some quite popular shows. So I thought it'd be kind of hypocritical if I uh, didn't give uh, mentions of, of other startup podcasts, uh, especially from confirmed listeners. So um, Yeah. One thing that I found interesting is that on his first show, he makes mention of how he's a big fan of Mark Johnson. Uh, Mark Johnson did the uh, Board Games to Go, or does the Board Games right. to Go podcast. And uh, that is a, a fantastic podcast. And it's something that I was really looking at when we were talking about modeling our podcast. Yeah, and now expl- the the show, the podcast is called Exploring Games with uh, Gamer Chris. And uh, it yes. is a solo podcast, so to that uh, earlier listener who uh, who doesn't like long-winded long-winded uh, one-sided only podcasts well maybe maybe that one won't be the one for you but uh, again the benefits of that are uh, probably uh, shorter shows and more concise uh, without interruption and, and side tangents and so there's there's definitely certainly a uh, a need and style for varieties and different uh, approaches to podcasting so that's uh uh, you know there aren't a lot of them. I, there's a, you know a couple of them out there that are that are solo podcasts, but uh, that definitely uh, sets it in its own little niche. So check it out. Mario. Mario.
Okay. okay. And then uh, we have a email from Robert. I'll, I'll read this one. So it says, okay. uh, this is Robert H. Hi, Jeff and Rob. First off, thank you for this contest and all the great work you've done on the show. It has quickly become one of my favorite and must-listen-to podcasts. It is only because the show is already running at a very high standard that I can even begin to give feedback and comments. So again, kudos to you both. The positives. The wealth of gaming knowledge. The game reviews and not being afraid to give a negative rating. Huge in my book. Casual discussions, not scripted. Regular, faithful schedule of releases. The Gamer's Dozen is a great segment. And Chicago area gamers, we now have a voice. No more indie envy. Woohoo! He also includes a couple of critiques. These uh, we've we've already talked about in terms of some uh, some people find the show length is uh, a bit long at times. Of course, that varies episode to episode based on what we've got and uh, how much content we want to cover. We do try to keep it to board games only, so uh, that's uh, something that's different with us and some other shows. Uh, also mentions uh, the the that he does like the back and forth debates and such uh, when we get into that. And uh, uh, there's uh, been a couple people that commented about uh, that particular music bumper that we used. So um, that that really there was a couple episodes in there where when we were messing with our vocals, the uh, and we upped certain post process techniques the music had gotten kind of louder than it really should have been, and that's been tuned down in volume now as we've sort of settled on a more uh, standardized and uh, enhanced post-processing audio. So I'm sure you'll, you're all hearing that quality now in terms of the vocals, and the music should, should sit with that more on an equal volume level now. Uh, I had improved the music prior to improving the vocals previously, and so that was the, the reason for that, uh, that issue in a couple of shows. Uh, so some other, some other, he goes on then in an email to ask for some game reviews he'd like to see. Glenn Moore, we've already covered that one, incidentally, coincidentally. Uh, also Cyclades, Colosseum, Fresco, and Liberté. So three of the four of those I can definitely help with. I've played quite a bit. Liberté, uh, I need to get um, some more plays in of, but I actually have a copy of that game on its way. So Probably in the next episode or two, I'll cover the other ones. And then he just continues to say, you know, great job on the podcast and continued success. Uh, can't wait. So uh, that's a kosher robot on the geek. Uh, so thank you. Thank you for all of that. And uh, for those for those that don't know, the Gamers Dozen segment is where we talk about 13 different games and, and hopefully less than about five minutes each. And then we rate and compare them to one another. And uh, that's... Uh, that may be the method I used to, to cover some of these older games that are mentioned. So I don't, don't go through like full analysis reviews of them, but kind of get my thoughts out on them, uh, bring up some points for likes and dislikes. And, and uh, it usually becomes an interesting point to kind of compare them against these other sort of random games that are included in this list as a, as a talking point. So yeah, we've had a lot of people uh, come back and say that they liked that segment. So I'll hope to do that again soon. And I don't know about you, Jeff, but I enjoy doing it. Yes, absolutely. So that's a win-win for everybody. Yep. And I, I mean, show length, we we typically, uh, you know, aim for 90 minutes, but it really depends on how much content we have. And we'd rather include it all and give you tips on how to forward to the sections that interest you than um, kind of arbitrarily just split it up into more individual episodes uh, that are released on a, on a different schedule. So. Uh, we we kind of just do shows as we 
we find the time trying to get one out at least every two weeks uh, of at least 90 minutes in duration. And if we should exceed that, great. If not, then that's sort of our, our minimum goal. Next one is from Jim from Philly. Hey guys, uh, this is Jim. I, I'm Jobin13 on BGG. Uh, I just wanted to call in and say I really love the show so far. I like the uh, informal discussion that you guys have, and I really love how you guys don't shy away at all from negative uh, opinions of games and for sharing them. Anyway. I am liking getting to know your guys' opinions, and actually, based on Jeff's opinion on Ground Floor, I actually, well, before that episode, I had backed Ground Floor, and then after I had have since sold my copy of Ground Floor, I'm shipping it to the winning bidder as soon as I get it. Uh, I'm keeping Skyline, but I was going to be playing Ground Floor with mostly with two, play, two players only, so Jeff saying that it was terrible to Maybe want to try to unload it. Although I'm kind of, I don't know, I guess confused on your opinion of Lords of Waterdeep. To me, it, was, it wasn't much there at all. I haven't played it as much as you, but I don't know. I mean, I guess I could give it a few more tries, but I don't really care to. And lastly, I just have finally played Summoner Wars, and I am loving it. The one thing I'm concerned about is that a lot of the joy I get while I'm playing that game is is coming from playing new armies and figuring out how they work and how to take advantage of their abilities. Um, so far, I've only played with new armies so far. I have the, the uh, master set plus two, I think, plus four. And I've only played with new armies every time I've played so far. So I'm kind of worried about how the game will last once I get through all the armies. I'm playing mostly with my fiance, and she doesn't really like it. She's also not good at it, really. But they lost last night with these sand goblins, so I'm probably going to play with those, those guys again. Um, but if you guys have played, I'd love to hear what you guys think about replayability. I know the uh, there are more armies out there for me to get, but I believe there are no more new ones coming out. I'd like to hear about that. Um, but anyway, thanks for the show, and I'm um, looking forward to a bunch more. Bye, guys. Okay, and 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 thank you, Jim. Ooh, I remember when you first told me about this one, Rob. I was I was kind of like, oh wow, really? Uh, a listener got rid of a game just because of my comments, and and then I, and I actually said I hadn't heard it at the time. I was like, I hope it's because of the two-player comment, and then so it turned out it was. So. Phew. Uh, because that's that's a criticism and timely timely that that we should have this in this episode because again I, I just mentioned that earlier in the show in regards to uh, that game kind of really just being the ultimate example of upsetting me that they would that way they would even call it uh, possible to be played with two players and I didn't you know one of the things I'd mentioned and I think it's still there is you go go to the comments on board game geek of this game and it is like the designer or the publisher who still has in their own comments about the game from like 2009 that 
uh, yeah, I played it, and I don't, I don't know if the two-player game's fixed so much yet, but we, you know, we continue to work on it or something. You know, you might want to take that out of your comments to your own game, guys. But yeah, I very much stand behind the fact that that didn't play two players uh, well. So, uh, although again, not a game I hated by any means, uh, just just different different things that weren't ideal for me. So, uh, as far as being confused on the opinion on Lords of Waterdeep. I mean, here's what I'll say. It's if you're playing with only two and it sounds like you are, it's definitely a game that's better with more. When I when I did get to play it with more uh, five players and such, I, I did enjoy. I found there were more interaction between buildings. But that said, I have no problems with the game as two players. It's one of my wife's favorite games, probably her favorite worker placement game. I would say definitely her favorite worker placement game. And she doesn't even like the D&D theme. But, you know, if, if you're finding it too light for you, well, then uh, that's certainly a possibility. One of the things that's interesting about the game is just how many times I see it played at the game store. It just seems like every every week some group is playing it or just played it or talking about playing it. Uh, I also, this was, was the game where a guy on Board Game Geek had done the little meeples. Uh, that that actually look like wizards and and thieves and and all of that and I I acquired those sometime back and very much uh, helps with the theme of the game and that was one of my early complaints in my review uh, that I think it, it needed a, any little help it could get with the theme coming across and I think that that's worth the uh, the thirty dollars including shipping that the painted set is so uh, look that up on Board Game Geek in regards to Summoner Wars which we did cover one of the last episodes. Uh, I think I pretty much said everything there. Love the game. No concerns with replayability. Fiance, your fiance, that is, that that didn't really like it or wasn't good at it. I've had what I the approach I've taken with my wife too is, is probably probably pretty standard. I let her play the same faction so she gets familiar with what the strategy is and how to play that one better. I then play different ones and and that puts me at a disadvantage. Or at the same time, I get a little more radical with maybe the tactics I use and try to really push it to the max. And that keeps it interesting for me, but uh, still fun for her because she can kind of compete, even though I've obviously played it a lot more than she has. Uh, and I do understand that the game is going to have future armies. They're by no means done. Uh, once the uh, the two additional uh, reinforcement packs are, are out, uh, then I know that the next big thing is a uh, set of new summoners for all the factions. So that you'll have even more options with the sort of straightforward deck building that the game has, and you can just switch out your main summoner now, like you could the commons and the champions before. So uh, that was great feed, uh, feedback. So I uh, appreciate that, Jim. Okay, next one we have is from Lance C. Hello, TBGL. This is Lance in Atlanta. Long-time listener, first-time caller. I have four items for potential discussion. First, in setting up your game groups, I'm curious what rules and regulations you implemented that you found gave the best foundation. Second, you have so much information in your news and about the games and game industry. I'm curious where you get it all. Third, I'm trying to create a list of my game collection outside of BGG, maybe with different categories. I'm curious if you do the same thing, and what categories do you find are helpful? Third, 
last, rather fourth. BGG is so large with so many updates. I'm curious how you've configured BGG to not be overwhelmed. Have a good day. Ciao. All right. And thank you, Lance. Uh, big question was rules and regulations implemented for uh, game groups and the, the best foundation for that. And I have the, I have the best response to this, Rob. You, you know what my response to this is? Lay it on me, brother. I've been in many, many, many game groups. And that you I have. have. And I, I do not understand what he's asking or what all the other people on Board Game Geek are talking about. I don't know. All these groups with rules and regulations, I, I've never been in a group that had any. <laughs> it's just like, okay, we're going to meet, we're going to play this, or, or just show up at this time at this place. And you you know you kind of figure it out as you go along. Uh, I, I I guess it's because of games having so much many rules and structures that we want to over overthink that and, and have all these rules and regulations. But and, and again, I'm not actually saying that I, I find a problem with groups that do that or that I'm even opposed to doing it myself. I actually think I'm more prone to that than most people. I just I, I don't think it's ever gotten anywhere in any of the groups that I've been in, or maybe there there haven't been a need for it. Maybe we've just socially meshed better out of the gate. So, Got along. You played. You played. Yeah, nice. I, I mean, the closest to any sort of rule <laughs> that we had was I was in a war game group locally here where we we just had a rule that at, at one point it was just four guys and then five guys, and, and maybe at its height it was six. It was just we rotated who chose the game for the next session, and there was no vetoing or any any kind of rules there. It was just simply, okay, it's Jeff's turn. Jeff wants to play Rune Wars next time. We're playing Rune Wars next time. Uh, and, and then the next time is is Joe's turn and, and, and so forth. Um, so that's a, about the closest to a rule or regulation that we've ever had. Uh, you know, we don't write down rules. Okay, okay you know, the the dice re-roll rule and, you know, all of this other, all these other things that you could do. Yeah, there's, there's no commandments. So I, so that said, I guess I would say my experience has shown me that the best foundation for a game group is to structure it in a way that, that doesn't necessitate the need for, for the, those types of rules. And, and maybe if, if you've gotten into situations that really require that, that I would maybe evaluate first, if that's an issue with one or two individual people or if it's really a problem with the group as a whole. I would think some of that gets enacted because of something that one or two people do. Yeah. Well, you know, and this is a, this is a cruel cruel analogy, but it's almost like say in, in, in high school or college when the teacher says, okay, everybody break up into groups and, and work on XYZ exercise. Right. And now I know there's many, many a geek that's that's like the that was the nightmarish moment because you're like, oh god, you know, I'll be left on my own, or how do I how do I socially figure this out and and find a group and find something to do and come up with a topic or whatever it is, you know, there's there's definitely a skill, a social skill in doing that as opposed to the teacher going, okay, look, the, the first three of you are in a group. The first three of you are in a group. The next, you know, then the next three of you are in a group. And okay, here's your topic, and here's your topic, and here's your topic. And it's just kind of all given to you. There's many people that would prefer that. And okay, I, I get, you know, I I get that. But that's as much as I can say on that. I, I've I've just never had that experience. Okay. So, 
so Rob, yeah. you have to maybe you can answer the next one. I mean, where do you get your news and all the info and games and on the games in the game industry? I mean, my answer, I'll give my answer real quick. My answer is most of mine just comes from the number of years I've been in it, and not necessarily any source. Uh, you know, it's it's buried in my brain somewhere. And beyond that, it's probably mostly board game geek and and too much time spent there, uh, which I would certainly yeah. like to get away from. But but how about you, Rob? Uh, for me, it's definitely board game geek and manufacturer or publisher websites. Okay. So just those two, really. Yeah. And again, too much time. Yeah, on BGG. definitely way too much time on BGG. I should just set it as my home. Uh, yeah, how about it? So that you know, I can save myself a click or two. Uh-huh. Yeah, you know, in terms of the question about listing game collections outside of BGG and what categories do you find useful, uh, again, I'm not, so then this sort of goes along with the first point, but I'm not in that category of person that strictly adheres to rules for getting rid of games or, or, or anything like that. So I don't, I don't calculate my value per play. I don't have the the strict Jones theory categories of, uh, you know, I can only have max of this or max of that, or, uh, you know, I have to buy this or buy that. I, I kind of just do whatever I feel like doing and keep whatever I feel like keeping, although I, there is a process to it, and that is maybe the one area I could put some um, rules to, but it isn't really category-based. It, it's It's more sophisticated than than that uh mostly the only thing i do in terms of categories is i is i do have a very uh set way that i organize my shelves uh and i I do get occasionally annoyed when when one runneth over (laughs) the the way that i have them segmented so uh like i've now separated all the games that i've designated as my sons are now in his own nine foot high bookcase shelf uh by like nice. uh, maybe three feet wide, I think. And then, uh, you know, and I've, I've probably mentioned this before, but then I have one that's pretty much just family games and fillers. Uh, that's, again, nine feet by three feet wide. And then I have a, a nine feet high by four feet wide section. That's the Euros. And uh, combined into the Euros are also the dice rollers and the train games that I happen to have and co-ops and flicking games and all this kind of all all those types of things and then on on the very left of all of that i've got the amerifun slash war game uh nine foot high by three foot wide shelf so i i mostly that's how the games fall and then you know shelf by shelf i might make an attempt at putting something together uh, or not but but really, in the way that I keep lists off of BGG, they, they all have some other intent. Like uh, um, in a lot of cases now, based on reviews or material or, or to be played or not be played or uh, things of that nature. So I don't know anything that really warrants itself to be to be shared. So, And uh, then the last question was, how do you configure BGG to not be overwhelming with so many updates? Rob? Do you have an answer to that? Mine's a, a smart alecky answer. So, so it's not overwhelming. I'm I'm not sure. Well, you know, you go you go to BGG, and when you don't go, so you don't know because you're there all the time. But let's say you you don't go to Board Game Geek for a day, and then when you do go back, it's your right. your subscription is 982 new, uh, you know, updates. How do you how do you manage that? How do you not get overwhelmed by all of the oh, updates? I see. That that's the way I yeah, interpret it. I was thinking it. about just. 
too, I was thinking you were talking about too much information on the page because no. <laughs> it's very. I, I believe that's the way that it's meant, or at least I, I know I've seen other people ask yeah. it that way. What I wind up doing is to keep it from being overwhelming. I go to it about every fifteen. Yeah, minutes. I, I, exactly. I see. I told you <laughs> throughout I the day. Answer. Well, for me, <laughs> for me, it's been a process of, of curing myself of that uh, virus, right? Of uh, the the forum addiction, and and I've. Uh, you know, there was a, there's other forums that I've, I've been too active on in the past. And one reason for uh, starting the podcast, and I think I had mentioned it in the very first show was trying to get away from posting as much on BGG from spending quite as much time on it and, but still building more of, of a, a community or a smaller community, which is, which is what the appeal of board game geek or some of these other forums in the first place w- were that you would, you would get to know people, you would get to know their likes and dislikes. And over time, then as you post uh, the back and forth, it, it would be a little more meaningful to you. And now board game geek has grown to the point where if you're not on there every 15 minutes, you 30 people respond in between when you last posted and and with all the different tangents and side topics uh, you're you're sort of drowned out and it's not it's not even so much just the being drowned out part as far as as much as it is that it's impossible to follow the conversation and continue to participate in it if, if you're just not omni and ever present and, uh, and, and therefore it's, it's really more time than I, I wish to currently give, um, to, to actually be involved in, in, in as many posts. So, uh, you know, our BGG forums and guilds right. sort of afford us that sort of smaller sub community of listeners to kind of go back and forth. And that's, that's very much something that I enjoy. And, you know, of course, as listeners give feedback, like we share on this show here and do the back and forth. You know, that that's something I enjoy more. Uh, outside of that, I've been trying to just unsubscribe to more topics, you know, unsubscribe to more games, uh, limit the subscriptions, edit the subscriptions to not update me on as many items, you know, follow less people, you know, not just watch every random video review and so forth. So um, I, I do what I can, but it's it's definitely a challenge. It, BGG has gotten overwhelming, and, and uh, this is one of the things I don't think the beta, the new rework of bgg is addressing enough which is the complexity of the site the complexity of maneuvering the the site the complexity of finding information Uh, even for those that are veterans i think it it can be overwhelming at times and uh, i i don't know if bgg needed that new look and feel without really changing the way that content is delivered so much as they needed to change the way that content was delivered so so for me you know the new the new board game geek that that i've seen uh, sure, it sure is pretty, but it doesn't really address any of my problems with it. So, hopefully, okay. hopefully that's that's next on their plate. Yeah, I find I find myself really limiting the amount of things that I subscribe to. You know, I'll subscribe to a number of the forums that you know I find interesting, and even a lot of the posts in there, I just sit there and I'll just mark them. Like, you know, most of the posts is read. I don't even look at them. And sometimes I'll just scan, you know, if I have five pages of new posts, I'll just skim the titles and I'll just mark them all red. Right. You know, just, there's just so much out there. There's a lot of posts out there that 
I don't, I don't know if they're even worth. What me. made me, and and you know what, I'll say it different than than that. What's made yeah. me quit other forums entirely is after you've been there a certain amount of time, and so for for like one of the war game forums that I'd I'd been participating in since the year two thousand, it's it's not that the posts aren't worth a read or worth a response. It's that it's just cyclical. It's the same topics. It's the same comments. It's the same points and counterpoints. And it just it becomes old and redundant at a point where you just want to start linking people back to the old post that you made in another thread. And but and then that one gets resurrected. And and now you you've just made the problem worse. And there there just doesn't seem to be a really good way of of dealing with that. And you know, maybe now with Board Game Geek, that is what has become the Kickstarter type thing. And it's one thing, again, to go back and forth within the same group. But then, you know, the new person kind of starts at square one again and go, oh, this Kickstarter, da, 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 da. And you're like, well, it's we need to kind of bring you all up to on the speed based on the last 99 conversations on Kickstarter. That gets that's sort of frustrating. And, and when you start realizing the time you're you're spending and posting and replying and kind of trying to get your point across there. At some point, we've all been that guy. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that asks those like noob questions and whatnot. And, and that's okay. And I could see how that's annoying. The, the one that really gets to me is the post. And I, I think we discussed this briefly the other day on I am was the posts where you see, you know, tell me why I should be playing game X, Y, Z really. I mean, and I, th- I think how I posed it to you was that if, if somebody needs to convince you to play a game yeah yeah i mean the, the one i the one i the wrong you i think you might have been talking about and i had noticed too was the there was a thread that convinced me why i should like trick-taking games you know i've played all which which i can actually uh because um, i've talked about that myself but but i've never asked it in that way but yeah you know here's a person that goes oh, I've, I've just never liked any of these games i don't i don't see what the, the point of it is um, you know, convince me why I should like them. Well, maybe you don't. Maybe you don't need to. Just because other people do like them, yeah. great. Play something else. But you know, and on another level, maybe it was you just thought it'd be an interesting topic for conversation too. So, but yeah, you know, even even recommendation threads are always sort of funny because they start off. And I, I just read one today. I, uh, I love dice games. I loved King of Tokyo. I like this. I like that. You know, what other dice games would you recommend? And, and somewhere about halfway down the page, somebody goes, King of Tokyo is a great one. You should try that. It's like, oh, come on. You know, you didn't, even, you didn't have to read everybody's responses, but could you at least have read the original post that said, I love King of Tokyo. Yeah. What game should I should I get next? King of Tokyo. That's a good one. Try that one. Uh, so yeah it's just stuff like that kind of over time you you just it grates on you time and time again as you click on things and realize how your time is spent so so i moving on anyway i think we've got it uh negative negative voicemail hey here's one from greg that doesn't like us or our show so hi my name is greg uh aka grindon on board game geek just wanted to say that i've been listening to your 
podcast the last few episodes, and I'm really enjoying it so far. Um, I especially like the way that you guys uh, you discuss the games that you've played, and uh, as opposed to just saying we played this, 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 and this, you actually discuss what you liked about about the uh, each particular game, uh, which a lot of podcasts don't seem to do. They just seem to give out a list of what they play. Um, along with that, uh, sp- speaking especially about episode 12, Jeff seems to be incredibly negative, uh, or at least he seems to come across that way about a lot of the games that he's played. Um, when you when you review uh, inherently negatively, uh, it can come across as pretentious or elitist, and uh, I think most of the games mentioned, or at least I find it hard to believe that uh, of the games that, that you mentioned that you did not like at all, that there are no positive, you know, uh, aspects to those games. Um, so I think uh, if you, you know, definitely, you know, bring out the negative aspects or the, the things you didn't like about particular games, but or maybe focus on the positive as well. Uh, inter- interestingly enough, the uh, episode 12 dealt with negative reviews of Kickstarter, and you mentioned that a negative review can actually bring someone over to that game. You know, it can mention something that you particularly didn't like that someone else might actually enjoy, and that may be the case. But again, you know, focusing entirely on, on negative aspects or, or for the most part, negative aspects just uh, just seems like you're hammering down on all these games, and especially when it was one after the other after the other after the other. I think the first four or five uh, were almost entirely negative reviews. So I guess you can take that with a grain of salt. Um, either way, I'm I'm really enjoying the podcast overall, and I look forward to hearing more from you. Thank you very much. Bye. Okay. Well, so thank you, Greg. I, I guess I guess to be more fair, he does like that we we really get into why we liked something uh, oftentimes, or I'd like to think every time. Uh, but he also mentions that I, I have been incredibly negative or uh, come across that way. So, uh, well, I disagree. What do you say, Rob? Are you being negative by disagreeing? <laughs> no, I, I think I think it's, uh, especially if you maybe you've liked a game or you want to like a game, it's very easy to hear someone's criticism of the game come off as negative, regardless of how they phrase it or yeah. what they say. I you know, I, I can definitely see how that uh, could be perceived. I really think it's more so along the lines of you know, you definitely know what you like about games. You sit there and you look at it and you just lay it all out on the table. So you point out the stuff that you like and you point out the stuff that you don't like. I mean, very concisely more so than what most people would ever do. And when you give your negatives, that's the stuff that unfortunately I think a lot of people remember. Yeah. Cause that's and, just how we're you know, so he, he says, I mean, you don't, it's, it's hard to remember the good stuff, but it's always easy to remember the, right. And the, the bad you know, stuff. So to anything. the common, you know, the pretentious elitist thing. I, I don't know. I, I'd be curious if Greg could cite a specific example. Now, I know it sounds like he was talking about the Kickstarter episode 12, uh, you know, the first four games, which I had purposefully put them together because those were the Kickstarter games. And I and it happened to be four games that I didn't care for so much. 
Uh, and then I had I had talked about games after that that I very much did like in that same episode. So four in a row might might have seemed overwhelming, especially if that was the first episode you'd ever listened to. But even then, you know, I talked about Ground Floor that that rated in somewhere I think about a five. That's not a negative review. A five on a scale of one to ten, and I do use the whole scale. That's right in the middle. That's a game. That's a good game. That's just not a great game. It's not a game that I'm that that I'm gonna go buy. And I certainly had my criticisms for it. Just don't know that there was enough that stood out as uh, positive or unique that there was as many points that I made there. Uh, one one great example I could give of maybe Star Trek Fleet Captains was an early, early review I did where I think I did 10 positive and 10 negative points. And I made sure to have equal number of points just because I knew so many people were passionate about that game. And I, and I wanted to kind of, and I delivered kind of a five rating to that one as well. And but of course, since my personal choice is not to own the game any longer, it's going to sound like a negative review because, hey, I'm this isn't a game I'm going to play. Well, even in terms of ratings, to an extent, I can only rate it as I see it. I don't I don't try to really to put a rating for everyone, right, because everybody's opinions and tastes in games vary. Uh, and so I do put and I've done that with Sky uh, yeah, Sky Captains, where just last show I I rated it a three or three point five or somewhere around there. Sky, Sky Traders. Traders, sorry, yeah, not the movie, the game, Sky Traders. But I, yet I was able to say, okay, yeah, it's a three for me. But I think there's going to be a group of people if if you meet these criteria, you haven't played the the market manipulation game before ever ever before. You are going to, and you're more of the Ameritrash, Marathon player, not the Euro player. You're probably going to really dig this game. It's going to be something different for you. Um, there are times when I can do that more clearly. And then there's other times. No, I don't know if it really necessarily matters who you are. I think these other games are better first games. That's my opinion. If you haven't yet checked out these games, I would do that first because I think they're better. This game's not bad, but there's a better game. But yeah, I, I, I think, I think, and I mentioned this earlier in the show that when you can say, okay, th play this game instead, or try it, you know, try this instead, or, or these are the reasons why I do or don't like it, then that is less pretentious, less elitist. Elitist is, is when you make those sweeping statements of, I don't think anybody will like this game. I don't understand why anyone would play this game. I'm not aware of it. I've really ever, ever done that. Uh, but again, it just so happens with those four games that one of them was basically the worst Kickstarter game I've ever played. And another one, I didn't even get to play because my turn was canceled three out of four of the rounds and then the game was already over. Uh, the the fourth one, which was Empires of the Void, which other people very, very much have liked. I didn't mention all that many things that I liked about it because there really wasn't that much that stood out versus all the other games I listed and said, well, you know, if if you've not played any of these other games, it probably is going to be this great experience. But I if you have Twilight Imperium and Space Empires 4X and Ascending Empires at the Light Level and Eclipse and you know and the list goes on even from there, Galactic Emperor and w w then stood up against all of those games, is, is this game still like l to the level of an eight or nine rating on a ten point scale? And that's another thing that's di going to be different for me is when you've played a lot of games and you have a lot of games, there's a point at which you just can't keep okay games or slightly better than okay games that's that that uh, threshold's different so when i'm talking about getting rid of a game i'm talking about a game that 
in in some cases, I, I might even be rating higher than somebody who's keeping it. I just have a different level at which I have to like a game in order to keep it around. Also, just the fact that I'm doing the podcast and doing reviews, I naturally have to play a lot of new games. And and so that also raises the bar because there's only so many older games I can go back to and get back to. And it has to be a really good one for me to want to do that. And to the point of not focusing entirely on the negative aspects, uh, especially one after another. Again, I think that was a one-time thing. And if you look at any of the other reviews, um, I think I've, I've made a good attempt at, at talking about the things I liked and disliked um, in the game. So always can do a better job and uh, certainly appreciate the the feedback there so okay all right next one is from matt from nova scotia canada hello this board game life this is Matthew Locke calling from Nova Scotia, Canada. I wanted to leave a message and leave my comments. First, you asked if I like the show or my comments on the show, and I do like it quite a bit. I'm very excited about the the new style of show you brought, and especially the way you your website gives you the times of all the different parts of the show, so you can skip through it if you want to. And I like that a lot. Um, my opposing view on it, something you discussed, and that would be um, Jeff's his opinion about him being very good at getting rid of games. I beg the question of why would you buy them in the first place if you're so good at getting rid of them? Um, I understand that you want to try them and then you can dispose of them when you're done, but it just seems like a bit of an exercise in futility to me. Um, my thoughts on a game I've played recently, uh, Venture Forth is one of my favorite games at this moment. Uh, it's a Greek, ancient Greek-themed uh, adventure game, and I think it's highly underrated. People should hear about it, and I hope you mention it at some point. And uh, I just love the mechanic of setting up your adventure and setting your characters through to fulfill their objectives and being efficient about it, sort of a Euro adventure game. Um, my rant would be um, basically my my theory on game collection is that you need to buy games that are going to last a lifetime. Well, at least they're going to be more timeless. Timeless games are where it's at. An example of a timeless game would be Settlers or Seven Wonders. It has a, a sort of a timeless quality about it. And I think people need to design games that are timeless and that aren't disposable. Disposable themes are ones that just seem like they're only good for for now, for uh, right now, like this minute. Uh, I'm trying to think of a good example. Maybe like Last Will seems like that one's not going to last forever. The theme, it's kind of neat, but it, it's kind of neat, but then it just fades. <clears throat> so, my request for review would be Venture Forth. <laughs> Anything else I can think of? 
that's probably about it. I hope that's what you wanted, and I appreciate your giving us the opportunity to give our opinions this way. Okay, and uh, so Matt also likes uh, the times and stuff in the show, and skipping, being able to skip to what he likes, and uh, you know we've heard that we've heard that a lot. Uh, so thanks for that. Uh, as far as the uh, having a opposing view on me being good at getting rid of games, uh, and he challenges, well, why would I buy them in the first place? That's an exercise in futility. Well, uh, there's a, another great discussion point on, I guess, fortunately or unfortunately, based on the time we're at in the show, but quickly. I'll say that there's no such thing as quickly. Yeah. Well, can I use a movie analogy here? So go for well, it. Go for it. Or book analogy, any of these. So there are a lot of people that'll go, I'd rather why I love, um, XYZ movie. It's such a fine film. And what, you know, why waste your time with all these other garbage films when you could just rewatch this thing? Or, you know, the Lord of the Rings trilogy is such a masterpiece or the Dune, whatever it is. And, you know, I've reread that 12 times, 20 times. And, you know, why waste time with this other fantasy fodder? And that is, that is an argument that you will just never win. I, I think there are just different types of people. And so there's more of the explorers and that's me. And then there's people and whatever the term is for that. I would almost always, even just like with a movie, I, as much as I like maybe a certain movie, I'd rather watch a movie I haven't seen. Uh, nine times out of 10, probably 24 out of 25 times or 99 out of 100 times. Uh, same with a book. I'd rather read a new book. It's, it's a new experience than, than reread one. Uh, and with games, so, you know, yeah, there's a lot of games. I enjoy the process of exploring uh, uh, almost as an art form. You know, what did the designer come up with here? You know, what did he do different? How did he handle this? You know, what did, what did he do here? You know, what, what did even, what artwork uh, is in the game and, and, and component-wise and stuff? And so that's just part of the experience that I enjoy. I don't necessarily... Uh, you know, I've been in the ultra competitive part of gaming too. And so I'm not necessarily worried about having, getting to where I'm so good at a game that, you know, Hey, I can, I can beat anybody at this game. And I think that that's one difference uh, or that cost per play thing where, okay, you know, it was a $40 game. And so if, if it's not to where it's at 10 cents a play, then why have I got it? So, and you know, there's one thing that I can probably expound on a little bit more. You like that? Expound. Yeah. For word of the day is it's my word of the day today. So one other thing I can talk about briefly too is that there's also something to be said for when you get that game and you open it up that whole experience of you know, punching True. everything and, out and, and unwrapping the cards and, sorting. and the smells uh, of it and a lot, sorting. A lot, of, yeah. a lot of people find enjoyment in that and. Uh, you know, sorting out all the yeah, little wooden yeah, it's, it's almost a, a mini game in itself. Putting it in Plano boxes. Sure. Little baggies. I mean, that that's all part of the experience. And unfortunately for some games, that's more fun than the game itself, but or more interesting or well, exciting. And, and there's always the thought that you're going to find that next Settlers of Catan or, or whatever. You know, maybe, and maybe, um, you know, maybe not just follow the crowd to... Because if you're only going to pick up a couple of games, then you kind of almost have to follow the the trends and 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 listen to the masses and and go with the mob mentality and and you know there's a different kind of person that wants to feel more like they were part of 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 setting that trend and uh, you know first uh, in the first group to um, experience for themselves uh, you know without being tainted by. Uh, a thousand people who saw Star Wars before you, or a million people for that matter, 
telling you that it was or wasn't good or this or this happened or what, you know, um, <clears throat> you get more of a, a, a genuine experience that way. So, um, that, that appeals to some people. And then the last thing I'll say though, is on a fundamental level though, and taken in a, in a wider sense, I, I actually completely agree with the statement of in general, I think people buy a lot of stuff they shouldn't be. Uh, I think we, as well, I mean, I don't know, economy wise, I'm sure it's good for the economy, but this, this, uh, cycle that a lot of us do get into of, of buying more games than we could ever possibly play, you know, is that, is, I know, I know one thing that I've been caught up with the past couple months and I'm stopping the insanity right now is I'll buy games just because they're cheap. Right. You know, there's, there's a deal for a game, you know, it's like 15 bucks. Normally it's, you well, know, in, 50 I'll jump on it, and then it's like, why did I buy this? You know, I never wanted more, it. Yeah, and more often than not, right, it, you didn't didn't want it enough in the first place, or you would have yeah. paid a higher price. Or, you know, as a lot of stuff on Tanga is uh, not so good, you know, for example, uh, and there's reasons why it's there. So, uh, and, and yet, you know, yes, there's gems, and one person's trash is another person's gem, but, but still, as a whole, uh, it'd be difficult to say, I think, uh, you know, that, that a large number of those games are going to be games that are going to end up actually even hitting the table. Now, uh, that that's, that said, I think the difference, too, that I find is in a lot of cases, if you're careful and reasonable about what you purchase, you can move them along without really losing too much money. And uh, maybe that's just because you always are, are getting the free shipping or... Uh, you know, maybe because it's, it's, you're only taking the risk when you know that it's a game that's in demand and can be turned around. But, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily look at it strictly of, I, I spent $50, I have to get $50 out of the game. I look at it more like I spent $50, I'm probably going to be able to sell it for 38. I need to be able to get $12 out of the game. And, you know, even if I play it twice, if $6 is not an unreasonable amount of, of money to, to, to spend for a night's enjoyment. Oh, absolutely. For for a lot of uh, different levels of income. So, so yeah, I mean... It, you know, people have wasted a lot more money for a lot less enjoyment. Yeah, and, I, and I'm usually not fond of the movie analogies and all those other ones, but the one that I do like, because it applies to a lot of people I know, is the sports tickets analogy, where, you know, they'll, they'll spend $300 on just to go to a single uh, sporting event, and... You know, the argument, well, that's a one-time thing and you have nothing. Well, you have your memories. And so I guess to somebody that's really into that, maybe, you know, maybe the value is there, but $300 buys a lot of board games. and Or even if you're buying the $300 board game and people go, oh, that is ridiculous to, to spend $300 on Sedition Wars with all that other stuff. I mean, how could you, that is just this complete waste of money. Well, that that person going to the sporting event <laughs> You know, was there for a couple of hours. You can play that game, you know, potentially a hundred times. So, um, who's the bigger fool, or you know, who who mismanaged their money the more? Uh, you know, it, it can be argued a lot of different ways. Or for that matter, somebody who just buys something simpler, like a boat. I mean, think about what a boat costs to go out on the lake and boating. You know, and how many hours do you actually get out of that? And if versus what it, you know, that could usually be what twenty, twenty-five grand even for a decent size one for a boat yeah if you're lucky well i was i'm trying to use you know something closer <laughs> to the board game range yeah maybe that's a kayak yeah uh 
you know, with, with a motor, but the point being is even the largest of game collectors is is probably not even remotely close, um, you know, to to that type of money and, and has infinitely more amount of, of usability out of, uh, out of that. So, you know, and with a similar kind of hobby is we've talked about this on this Xbox life is video games. So the console games in specific, if you compare that to the board games, the console games are typically going to run you 59. Yeah. Bucks. And, and now some of them are down to maybe six, and, 10, 12 hours of gameplay. Oh yeah. I mean, some you for like a single player campaign, you'll, you'll tear through it and, five hours you know and i know there's exceptions you know where you get and if you don't and you and you don't turn it around quick because you think oh there's some replayability i'll i'll get to this i'll get to that and you sit on it for even just two months and suddenly it's worth nothing on the resale market if you can even turn it around because with all the digital stuff they do now and and you know you eventually with some games might hit a spot where you get stuck and you get frustrated and you leave it that has happened to me again or yeah now you gotta drop for the uh, the guide or you got to go start digging around online try to find or, a walkthrough what often happens with me is i just shelve the game and i'm like you know maybe yeah i'll, I'll, I'll look i'll look it up later, tomorrow you but do. meanwhile you get hooked on the next one and and you just never get back yeah, to so it. so your 60 dollar <clears throat> game you played it for an hour even though it had eight hours of content and you're done whereas something like agricola all creatures big and small it I think the list is forty bucks right. on it, and the and again the the you chance know, that you can turn around that digital game for any any sizable portion of what you spend for it is much more limited in my experience versus a board game. Yeah, are you talking about resale? Yeah, resale, exactly. And what they're doing with some of those games now is you get a code. Yeah, to exactly, enter in. you can't resell. You got your online pass, or it's ten bucks. So that hurts. You got you got to go back and pay the manufacturer ten dollars to get re-upped yeah. and use yeah. your um, secondhand copy. So it makes it less attractive. Exactly. So uh, the other thing Matt mentions is Venture Forth is a favorite game of his. And that's an ancient Greek-themed adventure game. Uh, characters fulfill objectives with uh, very much a Euro flavor. Uh, I have uh, acquired a copy of that. And uh, I'm actually, I've played it uh, a couple of times. I'm going to get that over to Rob. And we're going to try to get our shared opinions on that in a future episode. <laughs> Last one is kind of a representative email that uh, we've got quite a few of these that kind of follow the same line. Didn't really ask a a question, but kind of make the general statement. So uh, the example we're going to give is from Anthony S. Anthony writes in, I absolutely love your podcast, the format, and how you guys handle things. Please don't change a thing. Thank you. Okay. And uh, thank you. Thank you, Anthony, and and, uh, (laughs) all of the other... uh, emails in that we've got along those similar lines and, and in fact all the uh, uh, lengthier ones with the questions as well um, a lot of them uh, started out with with uh, positive encouraging comments as well so we're definitely appreciative of all of that and uh, and keep them coming This concludes our special feedback-only episode of This Board Game Life, episode number 18. 
If you uh, liked any of the voicemails or emails that you heard on this show and want to contribute something similar, please, we encourage you to do so. We'd like to build that community. We'd like to hear back from you. Uh, all of your different input, your own ideas, rants, uh, opinions on games, uh, comments back on uh, anything we've talked about or discussed. You can email us that uh, at contact at thisboardgamelife.com or uh, send us an mp3 to that same address. Also, you can call our voicemail, 754-444-TBGL, which is 754-444-8245. You can visit our website at www.thisboardgamelife.com. Also, on BoardGameGeek, please check out our guild, uh, join that, and uh, subscribe. Uh, There's also a BGG blog that you can subscribe to as well. And uh, you've been listening to This Board Game Life. There is no antidote for board gaming. This is Jeff. Till next time.